Welcome to Tech It to the Limit, the humorous and surprisingly informative podcast that makes digital innovation in healthcare as entertaining as it is relevant. I'm Sarah Harper. And I'm Elliot Wilson. And we're here to pull back the curtain on the world of digital transformation in healthcare. Don't worry, you don't need a medical degree to join in on the fun. Just a sense of humor and a penchant for all things health tech. So buckle up, folks. It's time to Tech It to the Limit. What's up, Elliot? What's up, Sarah? It is November. Welcome back to Tech It to the Limit. Tech It to the Limit? Yeah, welcome back. And it's it's Movember for those of you that grow facial hair. <laughs> it is Movember. It's also no school November. Uh, <laughs> oh, yeah, right. When, when are they in school like, again? <laughs> they, get, they get off so many days in November. It's ridiculous. I love November for many reasons, but I, I can't uh, move on from the previous month without acknowledging my favorite dress up day of the year, which is Halloween. I am dying to know what was your costume and, and what were your kids' costumes? Uh, so I will happily tell you what the girls were. My oldest dressed as Princess Poppy from Trolls. Okay. So she got to play around with face paint and, and body paint. So she was pink from head to toe. Nice. And had amazing pink troll hair. And I don't know if you're familiar with the Trolls franchise, <laughs> mega franchise. I can still smell the plastic from my childhood. <laughs> well, I mean, the, I mean the recent one sure. uh, with Justin Timberlake. Oh, shaking it. I can't stop the feeling. Yeah. But my youngest daughter went as Branch, the Justin Timberlake character nice. from Trolls. Oh my gosh, so I love the group costume. I have pictures of the two of them kind of trolling it out. But for me, I went as a tired nearly 40-year-old uh, for Halloween. <laughs> That's amazing. I think I nailed it, too. I nailed yeah. it. Yeah, I got the makeup just right. Are you still wearing your right. costume? <laughs> <laughs> That's what I'm saying. Like the costume is very versatile. Yeah, yeah, totally. It's the every, it's the every dad costume. Um, That's right. Well, my eldest, my eldest one is Matilda, which made me so happy that this this uh, wonderful novel by Roald Dahl, which happens to be my favorite childhood book, is sort of experiencing this resurgence with the musical and everything. And I'm still loyal to the Danny DeVito movie version, you know, because I'm a little elder millennial, as we like to say. It was made for millennials. That's right. And then my youngest, he went, he kind of did a, like a 180. He had, he initially designed his costume to be a robber. <laughs> he wanted to be an all black carrying a pillowcase full of candy. But then he switched and he became a SWAT officer. So I'm like, all right, that is like, wow. talk about flip-flopping, you know, election yeah. season. Um, yeah. <laughs> he had a great time, though. I did not dress up but for you. trick-or-treating, but I dressed up for a party um, the weekend prior. I was <laughs> Ted Lasso. I mean, shocking, I know, to you, because I never watched that show. No, it's surprising. But I did get many compliments. No free beers. I was kind of shocked by that. But uh, I even had like a real hair mustache. It was pretty tight. Uh, what kind of hair mustache? A real hair. Real hair. Like human hair? <laughs> I think it probably came from Where did you get this hair mustache? It probably mustache. came from a troll. 
<laughs> anyway. Oh, it's it awesome. I love day. Halloween. Me too. Well, anyway, speaking of kids and no school November, I think we're we're planning on taking people back to school today, aren't we? Yes, we are going back to school today. We're going to talk about two of our, actually, h- how we met, which is at a, uh, an academic conference, uh, kind of making the case for um, building the evidence base for uh, digital transformation in healthcare, and how do we how do we go about doing that in our various uh, organizations? So excited to talk to you about this. I I met you at a conference, therefore all conferences are valid and amazing. Um, my favorite. Something's <laughs> wrong with your logic. Right? Right? Yes. I think that might be a fallacy yeah, or that two. That's so true. <laughs> that's like some. That's like a hallucination, right? No, I love conferences because, you know, it's an opportunity to nerd out like big time for people like us. And it's an opportunity to dress up and, and put on your best suit and, and really, yes. um, you know, just feel powerful. Or in my case, my favorite graphic tee. Yeah, there you go. I love, I love, I'm like, what is he going to wear on the plane? You know, can't wait to see it. <laughs> um, but it's, a, you know, it's an opportunity to build connections with our peers across the ecosystem. And it, that, leads to cross-pollination of ideas between different stakeholders in the industry, across provider organizations. I work for a provider organization. And and just sort of it's an opportunity to brainstorm, to forge partnerships, to innovate on care delivery models and you know new technologies, and really ultimately make a healthier, stronger system. So I love conference travel, and I'd love to hear what you think about it. <laughs> Well, conference travel is fantastic. I like to call it corporate tourism. Nice. Well, first of all, it's fun. Yes. Right? Part of the draw of these conferences, the people that put them on, the event producers, you know, they design them to be engaging and fun. And, you know, usually they are. And that's a good thing because that makes you want to come back and, you know, it creates a vibe. And what I think is really interesting about conferences is that different conferences have different cultures to them. So, for instance, the HIMSS National Conference, it has a very different culture and it's it's a very old school kind of health tech culture at a hymns conference, a uh, very traditional feeling. And then you have a conference like the ATA conference that is much more research-based conference uh, or evidence-based conference, which is a little bit dissimilar from, let's say, a health conference, which is very big ideas and splash and change making and and what's the future look like a lot of glitter tons of unicorns bright fluorescent colors so that's what i kind of like about conferences too is that the they each have their own culture and and ergo have different experiences that come out of them and i think that's really neat yeah absolutely speaking of what comes out of conferences for me, at least, it's that collaborative piece and that learning. And it's, it's a, it's a push, especially the ATA conference and UGM. Um, and AMIA is another one that I, that I attend in my field, the American Medical Informatics Association. It's, it's an opportunity to showcase what you're doing, um, at your institution and get peer review, right? Get feedback from your peers across the industry. So a lot of these conferences will have an opportunity to submit an abstract and that eventually will lead the goal is to a publication in a peer-reviewed journal. So kind of segueing into that portion of our back to school segment, you know, I, I obviously work for an academic medical center. Many, many folks that follow me on LinkedIn know that. I'm not familiar yeah. with it. What? I'm not familiar with the institution. You know where to go. <laughs> <laughs> 
Anyway, sorry, brain, brain. You can't say it on air. I know. I'm sorry. <laughs> like, really, you really throw me for a loop there, pal. Um, I'm sorry. I'm sorry about that. No, but I mean, like, why do we publish other than to like stroke our own egos? I mean, that's like a maybe a maybe a yeah. I know, right? It's I'm just I, I like to tell it like it is. Um, some people do it for that reason, but like really, it's it's so that we can um push ourselves um using the scientific method to understand if if the work we're doing in the health tech space is actually adding value. If it's improving patient outcomes, if it's reducing the total cost of care, if it's making care more accessible and equitable, all those things, we won't really know that unless we measure it, right? Mm -hmm. So Mm -hmm. that really the main goal of publishing and getting that peer review feedback is to determine, are we making a difference with our work? And, you know, medicine is evidence-based. Healthcare delivery is evidence-based. Ergo, digital medicine and digital healthcare delivery should also be evidence-based and grounded in scientific method and inquiry. Uh, I am fortunate to work for a large academic medical center that definitely values this process. Uh, It's one of our three shields. Hint, hint, wink, wink. I'm also proud to be part of a team that prioritizes academic output on a national and international stage. And it bakes that into the culture of the team and into our technology DevOps process. So kind of just was hoping to talk through a little bit of how we go about doing that at my organization. Yeah, I mean, I'm I'm kind of fascinated to hear that from the academic medical center. So I've worked at in the provider space for 20 years, but it wasn't at an academic medical center. So one of the things that I never got access to was that research drive, especially in terms of digital health. So I'm very curious. Talk me through that process. What is that like? How do you generate your evidence and and what do you do with it? Great question. So, I mean, my organization is a huge organization of 80,000 plus individuals. And we, one of our three shields is research. So we have education, practice, and research. And so we actually have a whole slew of individuals whose primary job is is to do scientific research. But within the Center for Digital Health, there is also a research and outcomes team. So some of our strategic business units will have, you know, tactical teams that that are also dedicated to research. So it just kind of depends on where you fall within the organization and what the scope of your work is. But for me, I'm lucky enough to be able to partner with one of those tactical teams and also to have a very supportive medical director that, you know, basically says, uh, let's start thinking about the evaluation before we even design the techno- technological solution, right? So first and foremost, we have to clearly define our research question and and what is our data acquisition plan upfront? And, and that's really jargony. In the business world, we're basically just saying, what's our objective and how are we going to know that we've met it? What are our key results? In the scientific world, what's our hypothesis and how are we going to test it? fundamental questions that I ask myself or any team member that I'm partnering with, any any person I'm mentoring in this area is, do you have baseline data that clearly defines the problem <laughs> or the opportunity that you're trying to solve for? Um, how are you going to get that data? <laughs> Let's think back to our science fair days in elementary school. What's your control group? How are you going to know that your intervention is actually making a difference? And it's, your intervention is responsible, not some, some other factor, right? Some other variable. And then you know, simple things like what's your sample size based on your population? What confidence interval and margin of error are you comfortable with? And, you know, fun fact, you know, we have tons of resources at my organization in terms of quantitative health sciences and uh, statisticians, but I even don't have access to them all the time. They're a limited resource and there's high demand. So mm-hmm. there are 
resources on the internet, including generative AI, that can help you with that if you can only answer a few basic questions about about your population. So use those tools that are at your fingertips to just get started um, in determining your sample size. And then the last little thing, little thing, this is actually huge. (laughs) The last thing that I'll share with the listeners is like, no one person is an island, right? Or no one is an island. Like you can't do this on your own, no matter how motivated you are, no matter how well trained you are, you need to assemble a team and establishing a clear scientific lead, having someone with a little bit of stats background is always helpful. Having someone with strong writing skills is so critical. You have to be able to communicate your evidence out to the world in a met- in a way that people understand. Mm-hmm. Anybody that has project management skills get them on the team. (laughs) And if anybody has any experience writing to the institutional review board for approval to to do the research, that's really helpful skill set to bring into the team. When I'm pulling together a team to work on a project, I think about not so much what skills do they have, but how quickly they can learn new ones and how dedicated they are to moving work forward. I've been on teams before with really, really smart people and nothing ever got done, right? You need some folks that are really going to be passionate and drive drive the, the the research forward. If you're just getting started in this space, recruit a mentor. Uh, one of my mentors told me, don't ask, don't get. <laughs> so preferably approach somebody who has a medical degree that could be a an MD, an MBBS, and a doctor of nursing practice, somebody with an established uh, research experience, and just say, hey, I, I'd like to grow my skill set in this. Can you include me in your next manuscript? I will I will learn whatever Um, needs to be learned. And these are the skills that I bring to the team. So that's kind of how I approach it individually within a large organization. I'm certainly not speaking for my organization, but that's, that's really been my experience in my process. Well, I think that's great. I think, I think it's a perspective that is really useful to hear whether or not you're in an academic medical center. Um, or an academic organization for people that are working in the digital health field to hear, right? Because a lot of that same exact work, maybe it's not being done for research for research sake, but it may be being done for an operations improvement project or um, simply the deployment of a new technology that has already been researched by other organizations that you are now putting into practice, right? Some of that key advice that you just provided pertains to that world as well. So a couple of reactions I was having when you were when you were talking that through that through I I think it's really imp- smart and I think it's telling about your organization that they have embedded in strategic business units that research capability or that research arm so they understand that those resources at an enterprise level are going to be limited but have applied resources at the strategic places um, that need them and that is a really good example of right sizing an organization. In a, in a positive way, right? Everybody hears about right-sizing and they feel like they're going to get layoffs. But that's an actual right-sizing methodology that is is meaningful and positive. So I, I thought that was interesting. Also, your, your note about being able to communicate or translate the research into, into something that can be digested by laypeople is an incredibly important skill set. And, and you almost need a marketer to do that. Um, as, as a skill set. And, and as a PMP myself, I also want to call out and say thank you for, for your shout out to project management skills because somebody's got to have the plan. Somebody's got to put the plan together and work the plan. So it's important. And then just ask. 
find somebody and just ask to be a part of it. I mean, I would be petrified to ask to be on somebody's manuscript, uh, to just go up to somebody and be like, Hey, I want to be on your next research project. I don't care if I got a, if I got a poor coffee, but I would like, like <laughs> that would, that would like, that's, that takes courage to do. And I, I, I applaud you for calling it out and just mm-hmm. say, just do it. Just do it. Take I've that never, never been told no. Now, granted, I work at an institution where this is baked into our culture, but I've never gone up to a physician and said, Hey, I'd like to learn from you. And then, and they've said, well, I don't have time for that. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? <laughs> they're all, they're all like, absolutely, you know, please join us. Let me, let me impart my knowledge on you. Right. It's such a, such an ego trip. When somebody comes to you and says, I want to learn from you. It's such an ego trip. That is actually, that's actually a really good call out. I'm just going to pat myself on the back. Like it is important how you package the ask, right? Oh, absolutely. Like, two sentences max if you're going to email them or, you know, take them out for a coffee and stroke that ego and then say, Hey, I'd like to be on your next project. Uh, you know, please add me to the meetings, and I promise you we'll see the value that I bring. Period. Right? Absolutely, mm-hmm. absolutely. So I know we're talking about parenting today, oh, yeah. but like one of one of the ways that you manage up and down, right, is the kind of the same way that you parent your kids. Um, well, at least I do. You know, you have two buckets that need to be filled: a belonging bucket and an importance bucket. Mm-hmm. And when you're managing up, you need to fill that importance bucket. Yes. And when when you're managing down or even managing around, you want to be filling um the the belonging bucket that was like some justin ayers level wisdom dude (laughs) nice job you've been hanging out with him so much so what else what else can you tell uh, those folks that don't work at an amc you know well i want to actually turn the focus a little bit to industry to the Mm. industry side right because there's so many health tech companies that are out there that have great ideas there's really innovative tech founders that um, usually because of some personal story or interaction with the healthcare system have figured a, you know, a nifty solution, a novel solution to bring, but they don't understand healthcare, the, the healthcare industry. They don't, it's very complicated, uh, the U.S. health industry, and they may not have the access to academic medical centers to do the research that's going to be required for all the things that they may need in order to bring their product to market. They may need FDA approval for if it's of a device of some kind or software as a medical device or digital therapeutic or whatever. To, so they, they don't may not have the access to those institutions that can really take on the clinical research that they're going to need. I, I, you know, I think it's important to, to call out that there's resources for those folks two that are out there that they can avail themselves of. And, you know, one of the ones that we wanted to to talk about today was Prova Health, which is an organization that essentially what they do is it's it's like turnkey clinical research solutions. And I want to call this out right now. This is just an organization that Sarah, you and I found. Um, this is not that we're not being paid by them. They're like there's like we still don't have any sponsors. <clears throat> but the the fact of the matter is we're both passionate about product development and you know that academic output, that clinical research is integral to to product development and sales strategies for these organizations because in order to get clients to buy them, you need to have evidence to garner that trust with them. It's it's like it's it, it, and actually they call it the evidence paradox. I was reading one of their white papers today, and they call it their, the evidence paradox, and it's very similar to job markets for Gen Z and millennials. In order to get a job, 
in order to get your first job, you also have to have five years experience doing that job. Oh my God, tearing my hair out. So frustrating. <laughs> <laughs> right? Yeah. And, and in, in today's market, you need to have like 12 years of experience plus an MBA using products that only were invented three years ago. Right. So, <laughs> That's so true. So anyway, off my soapbox a little, but there's this evidence paradox that in order to sell your product, you need evidence, but in order to get evidence, you need to sell your product. Mm -hmm. And that is extremely difficult. So enter organizations like Prova Health that are there to help organizations create a clinical research design strategies and put that research together and execute on that strategy so that they have that to bring to their potential clients. Mm -hmm. So, I, you know, I, I encourage everybody to reach, uh, to look up their, the, one of their recent uh, white papers. It's uh, Trust Through Evidence is the title of the white paper. And they talked about different kinds of evidence throughout the product life cycle and what kind of evidence you need at your like earliest MVP stages, like the ability to test and bring evidence back around the model that you're creating, right? Internal and external testing on data sets to see if your model makes sense. Mm. And then also just as important further down the line is evidence around that model in use as part of a solution. Does your solution that you've created based off that model do the thing that it says it was going to do mm -hmm. in the real world? Like, so um, real world evidence base. So the questions that, that they help people work through, and I'm actually going to just kind of read them here. Like, is the solution addressing a real clinical or operational problem? Or, you know, is it just kind of a cool widget? Hint, if the answer's no. You need to go back to the drawing board. <laughs> Figure out your pivot. Yeah. Um, there you go. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> pivot. But um, does the does the model um, perform on your own data sets? Does the model perform on external data sets? And they help find external data sets to bring that to. Nice. Does the solution that you've created based off that model address the problem effectively? And this goes back to that conversation we were having with Joel around we've put this technology in place. How do we measure whether or not it works or it's being used, mm -hmm. right, mm -hmm. um, in a certain way? And they have a network of clinicians and users that they can bring to do some of this A-B testing or user um, user acceptance testing to um, help with all of that kind of stuff too. And then finally, and I think unfortunately in the way that our healthcare economic system is designed, does the solution deliver value for money to the client? Mm. So if it's not going to have an ROI, and this is a recurring theme, especially right now in the, this tight VC market that we mm -hmm. have right now for mm -hmm. startup founders is if it does not have an ROI, it is not going to be funded, period, right. end of story. And that's not unique to healthcare. <laughs> no, no, yeah. it's, no, it's not. But be, what is unique to healthcare is the pandemic that flooded the market with VC money Yeah, that – and other industries too, but – um, it, they were just flooded and everybody was drunk on all of this money, developing all kinds of different solutions that didn't necessarily need to have an ROI at the time that it was deployed, mm. right? And and now that contraction has really is really going to start either consolidating or weeding out organizations that don't provide that ROI. So anyway, reach out to organizations like Prova Health when you need that research but don't have the relationships with the academic medical centers that are out there. So, But you do need to go for it.
That's awesome insight, Elliot. I appreciate your speaking to the, to our audience that doesn't, you know, that's not on the provider side or maybe they don't work for an AMC. One thought that I had while you were um, sharing your wisdom and your takeaways is, you know, a lot of, a lot of startups I've, at least I've heard in different specialty interest groups that I'm involved in and, and um, sort of professional organizations where, where we all come together to, to solve a common problem is they'll say, well, we're, our primary customer is the patient, right? Uh, we're not really selling to hospital systems or health systems or provider organizations, so we don't need to worry about that. I'm like, eh, you kind of do. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, yeah kind of do. At the end of the day, if the patient-facing solution isn't helpful in their overall care journey picture, right? If they're going to bring in, like, let's say, a cl- I'm not trying to pick on Migraine Buddy. I've heard it's an amazing app from a user experience standpoint. But that isn't integrated into the EHR. And so your neurologist, will they trust it, right? And you're not going to be able to, as a neurologist at the bedside, assess the evidence base for that app beyond just my patient likes it and it looks cool, you know? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so like, even if your primary customer, your primary end user is the patient, you still need to show the value um, in not just in a case study, but in a peer-reviewed scientific publication that you're actually impacting patient outcomes through technology. That's right. Right. All right. Well, I think that's enough of us pontificating about yes. how much we love nerding out. School's yes. out, baby. Ding-a-ling-a-ling. School's out for No School November. See you after the holidays. See you after the break. <laughs> To all the brave souls in the parenting trenches, where the daily scavenger hunt includes finding items in unexpected places, like the nostril nook of your toddler, fear not, champions of child rearing, say hello to Snout Scout, your new ally in the quest against pint-sized explorers turning their facial features into storage units. Snout Scout is more than just a product. It's a revolution in the unearthing of toy soldiers from nasal bunkers and cereal from the ear silo. Bid farewell to the parental rite of passage that involves explaining to a bemused doctor how a raisin ended up lodged in a nostril. With Snout Scout's cutting-edge guidance system, you'll navigate these incidents with the skill of a seasoned spelunker. Simply activate Snout Scout with a touch, and you'll have a safe extraction plan faster than you can say, sweetie, marshmallows don't belong there. Let the old days of frantically googling, toddler put crayon up what? Be as gone as yesterday's diapers. Snout Scout is here to elevate your extraction game to expert level. Join us in the era of parenting, where the only digging you do is in the sandbox. Get your Snout Scout today and turn those oops into ahs and oh no's into all dones. Head on over to www.extractionpro.com to grab your very own Snout Scout, because when it comes to keeping adventurous tots out of trouble, we've sniffed out the solution. Snout Scout, find it, fetch it, and get back to the fun. Welcome back, listeners. It's so great to have you back here on Tech It to the Limit. Now that we're done with the serious part of our monthly podcast, we're here to have some fun. Uh, and we thought we would try to do something a little bit different on this episode. We're not going to play a game. We've decided that we're too evenly matched for another game right now. We need to go back to our respective corners and cool it and maybe do something a little bit more fun and collaborative. So 
We realize that we are both parents, elder millennial parents of young kids, and we are finding some of the same struggles that all parents have found. And But since we are health tech nerds, we thought, what would happen if we tried to use our favorite generative AI, ChatGPT, to help us create tech solutions to some of our fiercest parental pain points? <laughs> yeah, it's going to be, uh, for those of you who are Zoolander fans, it's a prompt off. <laughs> so... <laughs> We are actually pitting GPT against itself for how can it be most creative and uh, who got the best output from it. Uh, and we're using a specific prompt. And we're going to put that prompt out on uh, the show notes and we'll put it out on LinkedIn so you can see what we used. But uh, basically, we've asked it to create tech solutions using various different kinds of technologies that are out there to solve these pain points. Give us a product name. Give us a couple of um, sentences about what it does. And we're going to share them with each other. So we have not heard these. So we are, react we are hearing these for the first time today. So why don't we start telling me about your pain point and what did your product development design expert create for you? Awesome. Okay. So this this problem is pretty large, pretty smelly in my family lately. It's the who dealt it problem. No one will claim that fart smell. I mean, my kiddos are five and eight and, you know, taking responsibility for one's flatulence is just so embarrassing. Um, so anyway, especially on the car ride to school, it's, it's always a mystery. So using the same prompt that we use for all of these problems, I asked chat GPT to come up with a solution for this problem. And here, I'm going to read it for you on air. It's called fart fault finder. Fart fault is one word. Who dealt it is a question as old as time, but not anymore with the fart fault finder. <laughs> Triple F. This innovative wearable comes with a discreet sensor that clips onto your child's clothes. Just the child? I mean, we fart too. Anyway. Seriously. Using a combination of sulfur compound sensors and machine learning, it analyzes the ambient air and sends a silent alert to the parent's smartphone app with a timestamp. <laughs> That's awesome. And the identity of the little perpetrator. Oh, fuckers. Yes. The app comes with fun graphics and a leaderboard to add a humorous spin to the natural bodily function, promoting an open and shame-free dialogue about digestion and health. <laughs> <laughs> with, with Fart Fault Finder, the mystery is solved and the air is cleared, literally. What? That is How? amazing. That's so great. Oh, I love ChatGPT so much. I think it's funny, though, because like, in my family, like we're very, you know, we're very proud, proud. You it was know. me. It was me. <laughs> yeah, like there's no, you know, hmm. we claim our farts in this family. Do you think it's like a Minnesota versus Jersey culture kind I, of thing? I wonder if it's a Midwest East Coast thing. Yeah, yeah. You know, Minnesota nice and Minnesota, you know, uh, uh, bashful. <laughs> and New Jersey's used to smells. Yeah, there you go. Lots of sulfur <laughs> in the air. All right, Elliot, hit us. That's amazing. Hit us with your pain point and what did ChatGPT come up with to solve it? All right. So um, one of the problems that I have almost daily in my house is my eldest child, who is a fashionista, 
Her outer layer of clothing is always on point, and she's been dressing herself since she was two. The downside of that is the under layer of clothing. We don't ever know what's going on there. And my pain point is that my problem statement that I put together for the product designer was that I never know whether my child has put on underwear until it's too late. (laughs) Whenever that too late may be. Okay. (laughs) Like squatting down in the middle of Lowe's. Are you wearing underwear? (laughs) Um, sir, we're going to have to ask you to escort your child out of the store. Sitting down at the booth of the diner. Didn't you put on underwear? <laughs> so I asked uh, our product design specialist to provide the answer for that. And it came up with the Check My Drawers augmented reality game. Yes. Making mornings fun with Check My Drawers AR game. Transform the mundane task of getting dressed into an interactive augmented reality game. Using a smartphone or augmented reality glasses, children are guided by a cartoon character to collect their clothes for the day, (laughs) earning points for each item. If they skip the underwear, the character that reminds them with a giggle. (laughs) Don't forget the secret layer. (laughs) Ensuring parents... Sorry. Terrible. Ensuring parents that everything is in place. I love the gamification of the problem. Like, very age-appropriate way to engage a child in in solving their own base layer gap. Yeah. (laughs) I'm sorry. It did not provide me... It didn't provide me uh, 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 stage directions to use that voice, but I thought it worked. It was really on point. Better than your hurts, honestly. Much better. <laughs> All right. I'm going to roll into to my, my next problem statement. So it's arguable whether it's the kid's problem or mine. But those of you that know me and know that I have a potty mouth. <laughs> and there, ergo, my children swear in public. <laughs> so my problem statement that I Ooh. prompted ChatGPT with was... How do we solve for kids who swear in public and embarrass their parents because their parents have potty mouths at home? And here's what I came up with. It's the swear sweeper band. Mm -hmm. Kids repeating bad words can be quite the public spectacle, but not with swear sweeper band. This stylish wearable for kids uses natural language processing to detect and respond to swear words. When a band word is spoken, the band vibrates, excuse me, Oh, that's interesting. When the, when a band, B-A-N-N-E-D word is spoken, the band, B-A-N-D, vibrates and a voice, which is customizable to sound like their favorite superhero, gently reminds them to use power words instead. The companion app for parents tracks progress and offers positive reinforcement tools. It's like having a polite little conscience on your wrist. Encouraging manners has never been more adorable with Swear Sweeper. Cleaning up language one word at a time. You know, that just seems unfair. Like, it's not addressing the root cause, right? It's a yeah. Band-Aid solution, literally. Yeah. It's a Band-Aid. Yeah. <laughs> it's a Band-Aid. <laughs> All right, so fail. Fail, fail, fail uh, product design expert. Yeah. How could you? You're fired. All right. My next pain point is something I have to deal with with both of my children. And they've written children's book about this. My kids will not eat the food that I put in front of them. <laughs> Do they ask and for it? We'll s- <laughs> oh, it doesn't matter if they've asked for it. In fact, 
they'll specifically ask for it. The other day, my daughter, bless her soul, asked for a toasted bagel bacon and cheese egg sandwich Yum. for breakfast. How sophisticated. Right? How New York. <laughs> Don't, you know, I, I could live without the egg, but people like egg and my daughter's one of them. And that's weird, but it's fine. Rare, rare. Um, she has good qualities too. So my husband goes through the machinations of making this thing. Mm. And then he puts it on their plate and she sits it in front of her. She takes a bite and says, I'm full. <laughs> and she sat there and watched him make it for the last 20 minutes. You so <laughs> I'm like, and, and you know what? It's like, fool me once, shame on you. Fool me twice. Wait. <laughs> I can't get way. fooled again. <laughs> you <laughs> oh, no. won't get fooled again. Oh my gosh. So I asked the product development specialist for an answer, a solution, and it came back with the Bite Buddy Bot. Bite Buddy Bot. <laughs> the Bite Buddy Bot. Your kiddo's new pal for mealtime motivation. The Bite Buddy Bot. This tabletop robot engages your child in conversation. All right, right there. It's already got my Perfect. money. <laughs> <laughs> Using natural language processing, praising them for each bite, which is what they want. And telling whimsical stories that progress with the meal. So the more you eat, the more the story progresses. Okay, it seems like it could lead to another problem. <laughs> with its built-in camera and AI, the Bite Buddy Bot also plays interactive games that can only be won by eating. So say goodbye to mealtime struggles and hello to a chatty companion that makes every bite count. Very nice. I don't know I don't if know, like Michelle is Obama is going to invest in this. You know, it kind of goes <laughs> counter to her whole like healthy kids campaign. <laughs> I mean, it's only it's only going to it's only going to make you eat what you're on your on your plate, right? So yeah. those decisions are up to the parent. Right. right. What goes on the plate? Honestly, this is such a talk about <laughs> problems for parents and not for kids. So right. my pediat- my pediatrician was like, "Here's here's this here's my suggestion. You decide what goes on the plate and they decide how much of it they're going to eat." And just leave it at that. Right. They're not going to starve. And then don't cave. And then don't cave. And that's the hardest part. Right. Ugh. Okay. I, I right. just came up with a, a brilliant next segment, like a like a sequel to this segment. We'll have to figure out when it's going to air. But we ask our kids to come up with problems that they have with their parents. <laughs> and we, to, we ask our product design specialists for solutions. Right? Because you're nice. right. This is very parent- focused right i mean mm-hmm. the kids, yesterday my daughter said to me do your parents ever embarrass you and i said yeah all the time she goes okay good and i'm like why did you say that and she goes Ouch. Oh, you embarrass me all the time and i'm like what you know walk right into that one oh, see another midwest <clears throat> east coast thing i intentionally try and embarrass my kids all right give me your last parental pain point getting out the house on time with all our and no yelling or punching. <laughs> God, it's so hard. It's so hard to get out of the house. It is so hard. Okay, so the Ready, Set, GoBot is what my product design specialist came up with. Say goodbye to the morning madness with Ready, Set, GoBot. This peppy little home robot integrates with your family calendar. Ooh, I like that. Predictive analytics and a sprinkle of humor to keep everyone on track. It uses NLP, aka natural language processing, to delegate tasks like time to pack your math book munchkin and its computer vision ensures that no essential item is forgotten oh hallelujah yeah 
If tensions arise, which is inevitable, it plays pre-recorded motivational quotes or jokes in the voice of your child's favorite cartoon characters. It even has a gentle foam boxing glove, air quotes, to nudge the slow pokes. <laughs> that seems uh, It's like a cattle prod. <laughs> okay, the Ready, Set, Go bot turns chaotic mornings into a fun family efficiency contest. All right, there's some I promise. think our product of I mean it does have promise, but I do think that our product design specialist has a sadistic streak. Mm-hmm. Well, maybe it was maybe it's like a generative AI, an LLM that was raised in the 19th century, you know, because it was totally <laughs> fine to like hit children and shame them um, and, and force feed them in the 19th century. In fact, that was probably written in a parenting manual somewhere. Maybe the LLM source material is in fact you know, 19th century parenting archives. I, I I think you're right. And speaking of 19th century, I'm going to talk to you about my final parental pain point. Okay. So my final pain point is my problem statement is I don't know if that is poop or chocolate. <laughs> the classic Caddyshack conundrum. Right. So, I mean, you're... <laughs> Sorry. Right. You've, you've got kids like... There are, there are mysterious substances on almost every surface, and they're almost always sticky. So our product design specialist created, this is the 19th century part, the Sherlock Gloop for Homes detector. Yes. <laughs> it's elementary, my dear Watson. It's just pudding. <laughs> All right, so this is a handheld scanning device with a spectrometer that uses machine learning to analyze and identify mysterious household substances. You just zap the questionable spot and the device with its vast database of child-created chaos will tell you if it is time for a washcloth or just a sigh of relief. When it finds something interesting, it'll illuminate uh, the mess and announce its finding in a posh British accent. (laughs) Yes. It's elementary with Sherlock Gloop for Holmes at the case, making mysterious messes an adventure in detection. I love it. I love it. I love it. And I think there's a great use case for like hotel guests as well. If it's portable. (laughs) Exactly. Well, it is a handheld scanning device, right? So, you know, you take that around, run that over your sheets before you lay down in them. (laughs) Whatever you do, do not bring it on an airplane. Just trust that they cleaned it, okay? <laughs> OMG. Well, this has been so fun. I think, uh, listeners, I think the most fun for me, actually, was preparing for this segment and coming up with Elliot. We didn't even use generative AI. We just, you know, on the fly, maybe 10 minutes, what are your top 100 pain points as a parent? <laughs> and then we had to narrow it down to three each. So we will post... Uh, throughout the month some additional pain points that we generated and we'd love to hear from you what aren't we thinking of obviously our kiddos are less than 12 years old um, or we would have had something about teen you know teen driving and and stuff on there so we'd love to hear some other uh, from folks of of adolescence and even college age and adult children what are your top parenting pain points yeah for sure in all seriousness as parents Our number one goal is to make sure that our kids are engaging with tech in safe ways that also help them build the skills that they need for the future. Because we all know exactly what that's going to look like because we all have a crystal ball. (laughs) But, you know, we, we we can't 
totally put them in a corner and not have them engage with tech. Um, and, you know, but we want to make sure that they're using products that are uh, designed for them that are going to help them grow the skills that they need for the future in a safe uh, environment. And and won't expose them through al- algorithmic means to things that they shouldn't be exposed to. Right. right? Yep. Classic point, I'm sorry, is up next on YouTube, right? Ugh. It doesn't know who you are. It's just going to keep sending out different videos. It's a whole thing. Yeah. If you're listening, YouTube, please stop. <laughs> so let's, uh, you know, as parents, I think our, our greatest source of information is is the car line and, and talking to one another about, hey, how are you managing this situation at home? Uh, so we thought we'd just plug a couple of reputable sources for information around how to keep kids safe um, when they're engaging with tech. And we'll include these links in the show notes, but uh, wanted to plug tips for parents in the digital age on healthychildren.org, which is a website that's maintained by the American Academy of Pediatrics. And then also a recent article published in the New York Times called How Parents Can Talk About AI and Chat GPT with Their Kids. You do need to be talking to them about it and, and learning together. And we all know that parenting is is a hands-on experience, even when it comes to tech. So hope you'll check out those resources and, and hope you find them helpful. And please share on our LinkedIn page if you have other reputable sources that would kind of help parents navigate uh, this this digital transformation that we're going through. Awesome. And stick around for this message from our sponsors. Tech It to the Limit is brought to you by Dream Dome, the revolutionary bedtime solution for your little escape artist. Because let's face it, the only thing less likely than a toddler getting to the end of a series of questions is a toddler staying in bed through the night. Dream Dome is here to transform bedtime from a game of hide and seek to a peaceful retreat. With its invisible magnetic boundary, your little Houdini is gently reminded that bed is where the magic happens. Whenever they get up, the Dream Dome gently pushes them back into their pillows without ever having to wake you up. Worried about too much magnetism? The adjustable field strength means that you can set the pull strength from static cling to rare earth magnet, whatever meets the unique needs of your little one's magnetic personality. Dream Dome's noise-canceling ambiance ensures that your child is oblivious to everything that happens outside the bubble during sleep time. Barking dogs, vacuum cleaners, car horns, none of it gets through the Dream Dome. Now you can enjoy those adult activities that only seem possible when the kids go to sleep. Like falling asleep on the couch at 9pm. And for the little dreamers, our interactive bedtime stories projector turns their ceiling into a wonderland of tales with our patented compressed 16K projector. Tech It to the Limit listeners can use our exclusive promo code TECHLIMIT at checkout to receive a special 20% discount on your Dream Dome purchase. Plus, the first 50 buyers will also get a complimentary set of Dreamy Tales, interactive story cartridges for the bedtime stories projector. Sweet dreams are just a click away. Don't miss out on this limited time offer. Dream Dome may cause extraordinary dreams about being an astronaut or a unicorn jockey. Side effects include uninterrupted sleep, actual hot coffee consumption, increased adult leisure time, nostalgic longing for bedtime struggles, and an inexplicable urge to recommend Dream Dome to every parent you meet. Dream Dome may cause sudden interest in bedtime stories about quantum physics and a profound appreciation for bedtime. Do not use Dream Dome if you enjoy middle-of-the-night toddler parties or believe in letting kids cry it out on the neighbor's lawn. Warning, parents may experience unprecedented levels of peace and quiet. Dream Dome where the only thing roaming at night is their imagination. 
Well, that's our show for Tech It to the Limit for this November. It was great to kind of do things a little bit differently and just kind of talk about with you about being a parent and what that's like and getting real. Getting real. I love it. Yeah, it was super fun. I actually, uh, I really enjoyed um, this opportunity to connect and and laugh with you. So I always learn something and I always laugh when I'm with you. So I, I uh, today was fun. And I just wanted to put a plug in for our December episode. We're gonna have a very, very special guest on the show, Mr. Ed Marks of Marks Advisory. Ed has more letters after his name than a can of Campbell's Alphabet Soup. So highly qualified expert individual is gonna be talking to us about what he thinks is gonna be on the landscape, for 2024 in the health tech industry and will probably plug his new book that he's writing with Chris Ross. I'm just going to guess um, since they're besties. Yeah, maybe. maybe. I don't know. He he doesn't really do maybe. that sort of thing. Um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, I can't wait for that episode. It's going to be a lot of fun. In the meantime, though, dear listeners, be sure to check us out on LinkedIn. Make sure you follow us there. Leave us a review wherever you get your podcast because that really helps with the algorithms. And if you liked our show, tell a friend. If you didn't like our show, tell an enemy. But for goodness sake, tell someone. So send us off, Sarah, with your favorite AI-created health tech haiku. Awesome. Give us a parent one. I, yes. In keeping with the theme for the show today, I asked ChatGPT to come up with... Um, a health tech haiku that solves a problem for a common problem for parents. Here we go. Diapers tweet when full. Change needed. The app chimes in. Parenting's new spin. That is beautiful in its simplicity. A simple message to say, yo, I'm dirty. Sounds right for tweets. So I also did a parenting tech haiku. And here it is. Hey, Google, change him yells dad to no avail. Tech's not that advanced. Thanks so much, listeners. We'll see you next time on Tech It to the Limit. We'll see you next time. See you next time. (laughs) Tech It to the Limit is produced by Sarah Harper and Elliot Wilson in consultation with ChatGPT because they are masochists. And also, don't have any sponsors. Yet. Music was composed by the world-famous court minstrel Evan O'Donovan. To consume more hilarious and informative content about digital transformation in healthcare, visit us online at techitothelimit.fun. And don't forget to follow us on LinkedIn, Twitter, Instagram, and across the event horizon. See you next time on Tech It to the Limit.